We're going to read from Matthew 18, starting at 12 to 22. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? If he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that in every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. <clears throat> Excuse me. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times will I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. Amen. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, brother. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. Thank you, Justin. <clears throat> well, welcome. My name is Chris. Uh, if you're here for the first time, if you're online, um, welcome. Good to have you. Good to see you. A lot of our people are missing. A lot of our ladies, as Rebecca mentioned, are on a retreat. Uh, and uh, ladies, if you're watching later on, we do miss you. And uh, we, we, your presence is felt um, or the lack of your presence is felt, rather. Um, we're continuing through the book of Matthew, and, and this is a kind of Advent focus. We're taking these passages. We're not doing a special Advent series, necessarily, but we're, we're looking at these passages through Matthew, and we're just looking at them in light of the Advent season, in light of the, 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 the season when we uh, intentionally look back at Jesus' first coming and remember what he taught. What he did, what he accomplished, how he died, how he rose again. And then we look forward to his second advent, his second coming. That's what the advent season is meant to be about. And so we're looking at these passages in light of that. Last week we talked about how uh, advent calls us to die. It calls us to die to our expectations for who God is and how his plan is supposed to be rolled out and the part that we are to play in that plan. He came as a, uh, a baby he came to a, a poor family. He grew up in Nazareth. He was not what many people expected him to be. He didn't come to uh, usher in a p political victory. He came to usher in his kingdom through a death and a resurrection. And so Peter and his disciples had to die to what their expectations were. That was last week. This week the title is Advent calls us to pursue and forgive. Advent calls us to pursue and forgive. That's what Jesus did, he got off his throne and 
came down here and came after you and I who were wandering sheep. That passage that Dan just read started off with Jesus telling this parable. What if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Won't he leave the 99 and go look for that one that wandered off? And if he finds it, he's going to be happy about that one sheep. More so than the 99 that didn't wander off. And he says, in the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. The idea is that if a little sheep is wandering off, a little sinner is wandering astray, somebody's uh, uh, drifting away from God, we're going to go after them. We're going to care about them. We're going to pursue them. That's what Advent's about. Jesus did that for you and I. He came after us. Charles Spurgeon, he was a 19th century preacher in England. He, he said this, Oh, how we ought to love sinners since Jesus loved us and died for us while we were yet sinners. We must care for drunkards while they still pass around the cup. Swearers, even while we hear them swear. We must not wait till we see some better thing in them, but feel an intense interest for them as they are, straying and lost. Now, here's the good news. I know our church pretty well. And I can say with great confidence that, that probably a good 90% of our church community would say yes and amen to this. And you mean it. Like you are about this. This is one thing I love about our church. My family has brought friends and outside family members into our church community, some of them who have dealt with some major dysfunction, and they have been loved by you guys. They have been blessed by you guys. They have felt welcomed as they are. And, and, and I really think that our church is strong in that way. I hear that about our church. That we are uh, good at going after those who are stuck in something. And we're like, hey, we're going to love you where you're at. We're good at that. Good at loving sinners who are straying. Until, 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 until. This is where we could use some work. Until those sinners sin against us. All right? Oh, we can love the addict until that addict shows up high in my house around my kids or steals from my medicine cabinet, right? That's when we start to go, oh, wait a second, wait a second. We start to put up walls and, 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 and we start to justify not uh, engaging with them and say things like, well, I don't have to be friends with everybody. Like, well, that's true. That's true, but we tend to throw that out there when we're uh, bothered by somebody else's uh, sin and we don't want to deal with it anymore. And Jesus is trying to remind his followers here, hey, uh, they're going to go astray and you got to go after them. Because he says in the very next verse, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So they might actually sin. And, and, and you have a responsibility there, not to put up walls, not to ignore them, but to actually go after them. What we don't want to do is have this posture. Let's be a church that loves sinners so long as those sinners don't sin against me. We don't want to be like that. We want to follow Jesus' instructions to go after wandering sheep, even when they sin against us. We are to go and we are to address it. We are to talk to them about it. We are to love them enough. This isn't about getting justice. Sometimes this passage is read and like, oh yeah, somebody sins, you got to get them, stick it to them. This is about restoration, restoring a wandering sheep, pointing out. The, the word um, 
some versions say confront, but it has the idea of bringing something to light. Point out their fault. Bring it out to the table. Let them know. They might not know that they sinned against you. They might not know that they've got this sin pattern in their life. And you've got to bring it to light. Maybe it's a blind spot. Our men's group this past week was talking about blind spots. Blind spots are sometimes you don't know you have it. That's why it's a blind spot. You need somebody to point out, hey, did you know that you do this? Or maybe it's a weakness, but we don't know the degree to which it affects other people. I've been told uh, that I can, especially on a Sunday morning, a lot of people around, uh, I can get a little um, ADD, like a little off. And so like if I'm like, oh, I need to talk to, you know, uh, Bill, I'll make a beeline for Bill and I like ignore everybody in, in the middle. Like I won't see them. And so people have said like, hey, I said hi to you and you didn't like ignored me. Uh, or they tell somebody else, I think Pastor Chris is mad at me. It's like, I, I just didn't see you. Because I can be, I, but I need somebody to point that out. And sometimes people take offense at that. Um, and so we need each other to point these things out. Because uh, Advent uh, calls us to pursue each other, to forgive each other when there's offenses. And so that's what today is about. So Jesus said, Um, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If somebody sins and you see it, the first step, this is the first step, before you put up boundaries, before you put up consequences, there might be a time for boundaries, but that's not yet. Before you step back and go, well, let's redefine this relationship here. No, 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 no. The first step is to go bring to light what has transpired. Now, we don't always, if you're thinking, now, you know, do I always have to talk to someone about, you know, somebody about something? I don't want to be this nitpicky, like, you know, rigid person always bringing something up. Absolutely not. You don't always have to. The Bible says you have two choices when somebody sins against you or hasn't, you know, offends you. You can overlook it. Let it go. Oh, I don't need to bring it up. It's okay. I can forgive and move on and I don't need to talk about it. You can do that. That's an option according to the Bible. The other option is you go and talk to them about it. Those are the two options. What we don't get to do is pretend like we overlook it and then hold on to it in our hearts. That's what we don't get to do. And, and a, a lot of folks' tendency is to pretend or, or tell themselves and tell others, oh, no, I forgive, I'm moving on. But really, oh, it's lingering. Now, here's some symptoms. Here's some signs that maybe something is still lingering in our hearts. I'm going to give you just a a, a list of some things. This is not an exhaustive list, number one. And and, and number two, if if, if one of these is true, that doesn't necessarily mean you're dealing with offense or unforgiveness and that it's still lingering. Just like a cough, right? A cough might be a common symptom of COVID, but just because you have a cough doesn't mean you have COVID. And just because you have COVID doesn't necessarily mean cough is a symptom. Uh, but if a few of these are true, it's just a good sign that you better get on your knees before God and go, God, I, I, am I, is this lingering in my heart? Is this lingering in my heart? Because we've got things from the past. People have sinned against us in big ways. Raise your hand if you've been sinned against in a pretty big way in the last few years. There's been major betrayal. There's been, there's been major offense. Maybe somebody borrowed money and didn't pay you back, and it's an exorbitant amount. Okay. How about, how, about, how about something little over the last few days, but it's just really bugging you? Anybody? Something little over the last few days or weeks? It's just like somebody's personality quirk. Somebody just, you know, they, they ignored you. They didn't call you back. Somebody snapped at you at work. Big thing, little thing. Here are some symptoms to tell if it's still 
needing to be dealt with because it's still lingering, it's still weighing on us. We avoid the person. If you find yourself in a room and you are going out, you know, trying to avoid that person, it's good indication that there might be an issue you need to adjust. You haven't overlooked it. You haven't been able to move, forgive and move on. You're avoiding the person. It doesn't mean you got to be best friends, but to avoid somebody is like, okay, there's something there. That could be at work. That could be in a church setting. could be at a family gathering. We avoid them. Or we find out they're going to be somewhere and we're like, I ain't going to go. If they're going to be there, it's a good sign there's still a fence that hasn't been dealt with. Uh, we gossip about them. We have to tell others about their negative traits. We feel the need to bring up their negative traits to others. Now, there is a place to bring somebody else in when they are either part of the problem or they're going to be part of the solution. Um, but uh, gossiping about them, uh, sometimes we just go to somebody to just, to just uh, vent about the other person's negative characteristics. That's a good sign that there's still a fence that needs to be dealt with and we are not able to overlook it. Uh, we find pleasure in their failures or hardships. You ever been bothered by somebody and you thought you moved on and then you find out that they lost their job and there's a part of you that's like, hmm, oh, that kind of serves them right. Anybody ever have that? You find out something negative about them, you're like, well. Like you feel vindicated. You feel like, oh, there's justice in the world. Anybody? I know it's quiet. I know we're missing a lot of our ladies, but you fellas, you can, you can engage uh, next one, we only notice their negative traits and assume the worst about their motives. So this is when we put on a confirmation bias, right? We come to a conclusion, Frank's bothered you, he's disrespected me, and then all of a sudden, everything uh, about Frank, I see through the lens of Frank is just this disrespectful, selfish person, right? Frank shows up late to something, and I'm like, there he is, he's dis disrespecting me again. He doesn't value our time. Doesn't get back to me over the phone. There he goes again, just being selfish, disrespecting me. But if I'm on good terms, if Michael, if I'm on good terms with Michael and he does the same thing, he shows up late, I might be like, oh, I hope Michael's okay. I hope, I hope he's all right today, right? I'm, not, I'm, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Frank, I'm going to assume the worst. I'm going to put on my confirmation bias and look, everything's going to add up to this case against him that I have building. Here's another one. We diagnose him with a mental disorder. No joke. We do this. Google's at our fingertips, and we start to go, but I mean, if I had a dollar for every time somebody in our church has diagnosed somebody else in our church with a mental disorder, I wouldn't be rich, but I'd have more money, right? A dollar, $10 for each one. It happens. I, listen, listen, listen. I've probably done it. I, you know, like, I think so-and-so has this, right? We do this. Or we'll, 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 we'll jump on Google, it'll confirm how we feel about somebody, and then maybe we'll, you know, we got a therapist friend or a psychologist friend, and we go, oh, my friend said the same thing. Here's what happens when somebody tells me that somebody else has a mental thing. I use that information to diagnose them with unforgiveness. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm right to do that. I'm just letting you know, if Frank comes and says, I think Michael has blank, 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 I'm like, oh, Frank's dealing with some bitterness. That's, my, that's my, like, my little diagnostic tool. So these are just symptoms. These are possibilities. Now, some of those people might have mental disorders. Some of us do, right? That's fair. Uh, but usually when you're in a conflict with somebody in a crisis situation, you are not the best person to uh, diagnose them, hmm? right? Those of you in, in the mental health field, can you say amen to that? Okay, thank you. Thank you. If I'm wrong, you can come point that out to me. 
the, the, you, you folks. So these are some symptoms that we are not dealing with offense, that we have, are, are, are burdened by unforgiveness, that we cannot overlook, that we cannot just say, oh, okay, oh well, let's move on, that it's still lingering, it's still affecting us, we're going to see that person through a negative lens, and therefore we have to take these steps that Jesus is outlining. And the first one is to, to, to start a conversation with them. Try to bring the truth to light. Let them know that, hey, what you did bothered me. Too often we just, uh, we, 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 we tell ourselves we can overlook it and we don't. Uh, and, and so um, that's first. Jesus says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So, um, Here's the, here's the reality, the unfortunate reality that Jesus is giving us. Sometimes we're going to talk to somebody about something, and it's not going to go well. Like Jesus is making it clear right here. You're going to talk to somebody, they might listen, and sometimes they won't listen. And that cannot be an indicator of whether or not we obey that first step. Like we can't say, well, I don't think they're going to listen, so I'm not going to go talk to them. Or I don't think it's going to go well. Or I think they're going to flip out. They're pretty temperamental. That all may be true. It may go exactly the way you're concerned you're, it's going to go. And Jesus is like, you still are to talk to them. Remember, the heart is you go after straying sheep. You have Jesus' heart for sinners. The same heart he had when he came down to earth. He knew some of us were going to reject him. Some of us were going to reject him for decades before we turned to him. And yet we're to go after people. Sometimes it won't go well. But we can't use that as an excuse. Because when we do that, we're actually saying, I care more about me than I do about them. It's going to be too uncomfortable if they snap at me and I don't need any more discomfort in my life. That's selfishness. Or I'm afraid of what they're going to think of me. Maybe they're going to think I'm too sensitive. That's selfishness. I care more about what they think of me than I do about loving them and pointing something out and trying to restore them. To, to our relationship, but most importantly to God, if there's something serious in their hearts or in their life that needs to be dealt with. So if they don't listen to you, you've, or if they do listen, you've won them over. Great, praise God. If they don't listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's a reference to the Mosaic Law. In the Mosaic Law, two or three uh, witnesses uh, was a way of um, uh, establishing a matter. It was a way of making it official. You bring in objective witnesses to establish a matter. If there was an accusation against someone, you bring in two or three witnesses. Um, And so uh, what Jesus is saying here is if I have an issue with Frank, and the first time I try to bring it up to him, he flips out on me. I'm like, whoa, okay. I didn't go well. I don't, I don't give up. I, I get one or two other people to sit down with Frank. Now, who do I get? I get witnesses. I get people who are going to be objective, not biased. I, I, I don't call up somebody who's already offended at Frank to help me, right? I'm not going to call up Steve and be like, Steve, you know, you still have that problem with Frank? Yeah, good, good, good. You join me then. Let's get him. Let's get him. That's, that's calling a personal lawyer in. We're calling witnesses in so that somebody can sit down and say, hey, Frank, I think, I think Chris is right here. I think something's going on. But Chris, maybe you're overreacting as well, right? Somebody could help facilitate. That's what Jesus is after, restoration. And we are to call somebody up to help us, somebody who maybe is in relationship with us both, somebody who's going to help me give Frank the benefit of the doubt, somebody who's going to... Uh, 
call me out on something where if I'm wrong and if I'm misreading something, they might help me say, hey, Chris, I think you're, 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 you're taking what Frank said a little too personally. You misread his email. That's not what he meant. This is what I hear Frank saying. That's what it means to pursue. Advent calls us to pursue, to forgive. Now, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, it says. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Now, what does it mean to tell it to the church? Now, uh, remember, the context here is reconciliation, pursuit. So if there was a house church of 20 people, let's say, then it might mean, hey guys, everybody, Frank's, something's up with Frank. We got to help him, right? It might mean a house church full of everybody. But in a church of 150, 200 people, uh, then reconciliation and restoration, uh, it probably doesn't mean, hey everybody, guess what? Frank did this to me and everybody needs to know, right? So it, it kind of depends on the situation and the matter. It, it, it might mean, I, I get, me and Frank are in the, sorry Frank, you okay with this? Yeah, you're okay with this. <laughs> He's in my men's group, so I might, get a, I, I might get the whole men's group. Hey, guys, something's up with Frank. He's got this, something's been going on. He's been flipping out on everybody lately. Might get the elders, might get the board, depending on where there's relationships. But the principle is that the circle gets wider in an effort to continue to pursue Frank and love Frank and restore that wandering sheep. Not giving up, not stopping, not throwing up your hands going, oh, well, he snapped at me twice, so walls are up, that's it. I'm staying away from Frank. No, you keep pursuing. You keep walking out these steps. Is it exhausting sometimes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love can be exhausting sometimes. But that's the idea. What did Jesus do? Heaven to earth in a baby, right? Took a long journey to restore us to the Father on the cross. And so we can walk out these uh, steps. Now, sometimes it might mean telling the whole church, giving, uh, given a situation, especially if it's a threat to the whole church. But at this point, the, the, the idea is that the circle gets wider and it, it might feel like an intervention. If you've ever been part of an intervention, hey, something's going on with you, man. Addiction, you need to get help. We need to get you some help here. This isn't healthy. If they, next thing, if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, this might sound Strange to some, harsh to others. A pagan or a tax collector is just the idea of treat somebody as if they don't belong to the covenant community of faith that you're a part of. They don't worship Yahweh. They're not worshiping God. There are, a tax collector is, was somebody who was uh, by their life saying, um, I'm going to do it my way. I'm not, I, I, not having respect and reverence all of God. And a pagan would be somebody just worshiping other gods. And so the idea here is that you don't treat them with the same influence and authority that maybe they once had in the covenant community uh, in your life. You don't give them that same authority. You don't give them that same response, uh, influence. And you don't hold them to the same responsibility either. If I got an atheist friend who's saying to me, uh, telling me something about their, their sex life, and I'm like, hey, I got to call you out on something. I don't think this is healthy. Uh, it's going to be hard for me to appeal to the word of God when they're like, I don't believe that's God's word. I believe that's man-made word. It, it's hard to hold them to certain standards that I would hold a, a follower of Jesus to. So in some ways, they're, they're, they're let off the hook, but then they also wouldn't give, be given the authority to lead, let's say, a life group in our church community, right? Or to be a youth leader, let's say. So you treat them as somebody who's not part of the community. After these steps have been taken and exhausted, then there's, then there's boundaries and there's consequences. But those aren't put in place to be vindictive. 
Those are put in place for the purpose of restoration and reconciliation. If they were a life group leader, it might mean they're stepping down for a season. If they were a youth leader, it means they're stepping down. Heck, you guys want to know that as a pastor, there's a, uh, uh, we've got elders, we've got a board, we've got a denomination that would be willing to say, Chris, we've tried, we've tried, we've tried. You need to step down at least for a season here with this pattern of sin that has yet to be dealt with. That should happen in a healthy church. Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Consequences and boundaries are then put in place at that point. You've given them a chance to repent. You've brought the situation to light. You've tried multiple ways, and then you treat them differently. Uh, but again, not to be vindictive in an effort to restore and reconcile. Sometimes it may even mean appealing to the law, to the justice system. Um, in nine years here and 13 years of being a pastor, I've, I've only had to call child services once, um, but that was a hard phone call. Our church continued to come alongside that person, but there was uh, too many uh, um, red flags that said, ah, at least somebody needs to check into this. I've encouraged couples to separate, not as a first step towards divorce, but to prevent divorce because there was major dysfunction that wasn't being addressed by at least one or possibly both. There needs to be something here that would awaken your desire to deal with this. A few years ago, I had a uh, pastor friend outside this church, pastor of a different church I was close with, really close with. He called me, he was crying admitted to having an affair. He just got caught. Uh, and so our denomination put him through a restoration process. I was asked to be part of that for him. Restoration for the sake of his marriage, his family, his relationship with God, most importantly. Restoration to the church community. Not necessarily restoration as a pastor. Step down. Consequences sometimes have to be put in place, but that is not Mutually exclusive to forgiveness and love. No, you love all the time. Sometimes you love by overlooking. Sometimes you love by addressing and addressing and addressing. And finally, there's consequences and boundaries that need to be put in place. Jesus continues, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Most folks quote this as a reference to prayer, uh, and I guess it applies to that, but it's, uh, the, the context is most directly uh, about this topic of reconciliation and discipline and pursuing and restoring or attempting to restore a wandering sheep. And so if it gets to a point where there's consequences and, 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 and such, uh, there should be a few people involved to help establish a matter, right? Where we're saying, hey, this is, this is outside the bounds of what God has for your life and your strength, and there might need to be some parameters and boundaries and whatnot that we put in place out of love for you. But then right after this, just in case anybody kind of gets, you know, confused about this, we're going to continue. In verse 21, Peter came to Jesus right after this. 
right? And Peter's probably thinking about this. Okay, somebody sins against me. I've taken these steps. Um, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, at the time, rabbis were teaching that three times was enough. You forgive somebody three times, and then you can kind of go, all right, goodbye, write them off, they're done, three strikes, you're out. So Peter, he's going above and beyond, as Peter does. He's, uh, you know, always the overachiever. Well, I did seven times. I'll do it seven times. But Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, some versions say 70 times 7, 490. The idea isn't that you are to pull out a calculator right now and determine, how many more times do I have to forgive my spouse? That's not the idea. It's a, it's a figure of speech. Seven was a number of completion. So Jesus is like, yo, it, it's unending. It doesn't stop. You keep forgiving, you keep forgiving, you keep forgiving, you keep forgiving, you keep forgiving. And then he launches into a parable that we're not going to get into today for the sake of time. But he launches into the most sobering parable in, 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 in Scripture, I think. It's a parable of a, of a servant who owes a king about $12 million in conservative, uh, uh, um, uh, conservative when, when you take the denarius and translate it to our time and inflation and everything, $12 million conservatively. So he owes him $12 million, can't pay. Please give me more time. And the king's like, I'm just going to forgive you. Debt is washed clean. The servant leaves, sees another servant who owes him some thousands of dollars. He starts choking the guy out. You better repay me. The guy's like, give me more time. And this servant says, no, I'm throwing you into debtor's prison. When the king finds out, he's like, come here, you little punk. I just forgave you $12 million and you couldn't forgive your fellow servant. You just, you just stomped on my grace. I'm throwing you in debtor's prison. And so two guys end up in prison and Jesus says, my heavenly father will do the same to you if you refuse to forgive your brother from the heart. It's a sobering parable. You can read it later. later. But the idea is you better forgive. You better take seriously the call to forgive. Sometimes we forgive by overlooking an offense. And sometimes we forgive through the process of addressing and confronting sin and taking those steps. But we always, always, always forgive. It may look different with different situations, the process that needs to take place, but we always forgive. That's the heart of God. His heart is one of pursuit and forgiveness. His arms are open wide. He died on the cross. Now he confronts us in our sin and he calls us to die to it as we talked about last week. But that's the heart of God, to pursue, to forgive, and he calls us to do that. And I want us... um, Before we roll into communion, I want us to just take a moment. And Ben, maybe you guys can come on up here at this point. Just take a moment. And and let's just consider this Advent season. We're thinking about Jesus. He coming for us. In fact, we're going to sing a song. For the glory of it all, he came here for the rescue from the fall that we may live. It's a song about forgiveness that's offered us. Who in your life might you need to pursue and or forgive? Where might you have unforgiveness towards somebody in your heart? Again, it could be a big thing, and it could just be small things that have added up lately. Somebody's personality keeps rubbing you the wrong way. And you're not sure at this point, is it a sin issue? Is it a personality thing? I don't know, but it keeps bothering me. Maybe I need to talk to them about it. Maybe just close your eyes for a moment. Lord, would you show us? Show us, Lord. Is there somebody that we need to forgive? Is there somebody that we need to talk to?
have a conversation with. Maybe we have yet to have a conversation that we keep expecting them to change, but maybe nobody's ever pointed something out to them. Or maybe we have tried and it didn't go well. And there's another way to try. I need to take another step. Maybe there's been boundaries that have needed to be put up, consequences. But now I need to show them that I've, I've still forgive them, even though that these boundaries have needed to be put up. Maybe consequences need to be put up in an effort to love that person instead of enabling them. And we've had the wrong idea that consequences means we don't love them. But sometimes consequences is the best way to love. By the way, this is why a lot of churches have gotten in trouble because they've, they, they've failed to report um, you know, real flagrant things that are illegal and, and they call it grace. And man, I just think grace means you believe Jesus wants to completely transform somebody and sometimes it takes a little time in prison if they've broken the law. Um, we always forgive, we always forgive. Sometimes we overlook Sometimes we have to walk out this process of confronting and seeing consequences be put in place. Jesus, give us wisdom to know which is which. Give us wisdom to know which is which. And mostly, Jesus, I pray that we would remember that while we were still sinners, you came after us and died for us. In fact, can we stand? And, and you can take out the communion elements. This is, we're going to receive this today. And this is a reminder that Jesus came after us. You know, worldly wisdom would say relationships get messy. And if a sheep is wandering off and they're a little too high maintenance and they've offended too many people, let them go. You don't need toxic sheep in your sheep pen. All right, that's how we think sometimes. We don't need any more toxic sheep in our sheep pen. And, and this communion is a reminder that Jesus didn't take that approach. Because while there are people whose dysfunction may put them in the category of toxic for us by our standards, all of us compared to God's standards are toxic, dysfunctional sinners. And Jesus came after us. He came after us. And this cracker represents his body that was given. For you and I. He got into a body at Christmas Day, right? Into the baby. That body grew up. 
And then that body was scourged and beaten and spit on and punched and stripped naked and nailed to a cross. And when it was gone through all that torture, the blood was spilled, represented by this juice, to cover our sins as atonement for our transgressions so that we could be forgiven, so that our shame could be washed away, and so that we could be restored to his sheep pen. And so let's receive this cracker together. And let's receive this juice. And let's take a moment and and sing this song together. Let God speak to us as we declare his praises and then Pastor Regal will will be up.